up, my family and I had dinners together every night. Now, obviously, with kids in sports and a dad who coached and living in Northern Virginia, it wasn't literally every night, but it was pretty much every night. The norm was that we ate together as a family. My mom had read something in the paper one time that, like, the number one indicator of college success was whether or not you ate together as a family, and from that time on, we always ate together as a family. Um, and it was, but it was nice. It was, it was a good thing that we did. We'd talk about our days. We'd race through our first helping so we could make sure we got seconds. We enjoyed each other and bonded as a family. We listened to a lot of Garth Brooks and a lot of Randy Travis. But growing up in the late 90s and early, early 2000s, there was another soundtrack that often accompanied our dinner. And it was the soundtrack of the telephone ringing. Insurance companies, credit card companies, people offering dip, different long distance packages. The phone would ring again and again as we tried to have as quiet a dinner as you can have with four kids and Garth Brooks. But at least the kids and the Garth Brooks were invited to dinner. Telemarketers were the nightly uninvited guests to our family dinners. And when the phone rang and my parents or my brother and I would go over to the caller ID to see who was calling, me having the briefest hope that it might be a girl, it never was. The vast majority of the calls would be met with annoyance. But there was one call we'd get from time to time that was met with something akin to laughter. The College of William and Mary. My mom's alma mater. Calling to ask if we donate to the school. My parents were both public school teachers. My dad taught high school math and my mom taught fifth grade. We grew up in Fairfax County, and as a child, I had full knowledge of two things. One, my parents would always provide me with everything I needed. And two, my parents would not and could not give me everything I wanted. There were things we couldn't afford. So when I had a Super Nintendo and also wanted a Sega Genesis, we couldn't afford both. Now, to be fair and give a more complete picture of my parents, they made a lot of wise choices when it came to finances, like not buying me a second video game thing that I didn't need. Again, they were two public school teachers and they put four kids through college. My siblings and I all graduated from undergrad debt-free. It's an incredible gift. They gave me other immeasurable gifts throughout my life. But one thing my childhood taught me was that money was finite and as such, money was scarce. I said when William and Mary called, there'd be laughter. In the spirit of, we're teachers, you're wasting your time calling here, call someone else. But here's the reality behind that. My parents were generous people and they still are. They gave regularly and faithfully to their church. I remember every Sunday morning, their check for the offering would, uh, their check would be in the offering envelope and that would be on the kitchen table to make sure we remembered it when we went to church in the morning. And when we missed church because we were on vacation, um, there would be two, ch two envelopes on the table when we get the next Sunday for church. So the response wasn't so much let someone else donate to William and Mary. I think their laughter was an expression of longing. I think they wanted to be able to give to William and Mary. But money is finite. And sometimes finite becomes scarcity. I think on some level, many of us approach finances from a place of scarcity. I've mentioned this before, and it won't be the last time that I do, but I remember hearing a study that the vast majority of Americans agree that they'd feel more comfortable about their financial situation if they made 10% more. 
And so what that means by virtue of the converse is that the vast majority of Americans don't feel that they earn enough. If 10% more is what it would take for most people to feel comfortable about their finances, that means the vast majority of Americans don't feel comfortable about their finances. They don't think they have enough. And because of the way we connect money to our worth, I imagine this means the vast majority of Americans don't feel like they are enough. I think one of the main anxieties that confronts us, especially those of us living in Northern Virginia, is whether we have enough money. Case in point, sound financial planning says that your monthly total housing costs should not exceed 28% of your monthly pre-tax income. So rent or mortgage, plus insurance, plus property taxes, plus HOA or condo association fees, 28%. The median household income for Prince William County residents is $98,500. So if you're going by the financial planner's recommendations, we are talking about $2,300 a month in total housing costs for the average family here in Prince William County. Can you do that? Sure. The median home price in Prince William County is about $375,000. If you can put 20% down, which is about $75,000, then you're at about $2,000 in monthly housing costs. If you can't put $75,000 down, if you can't get to 20% and have to have PMI, private mortgage insurance, then you're right at that $2,300 mark. But start thinking about that, or don't think too hard. If you make nearly six figures, you need $75,000 for a down payment to buy a median value home in this county. And I don't know about you, but just looking at that one aspect of our finances makes me feel like money is really scarce. Like there can be not enough of it and quick. There's a story in the Old Testament, I gave the cliff notes to the kids, about the prophet Elijah that we're going to look at this morning. It's a story of scarcity. It's a story of not enough. And it's a story that has a twist ending, one that only God could write. We're going to walk through it together beat by beat. I don't want to tell the whole story all at once, except I did that with the kids, so just forget about that for a second. Because I don't want us to race to the ending. I don't want us to skip ahead. It's the middle part that's really important. So stay with me. Forget what I said to the kids. And uh, don't read ahead in your life. And nothing bad will happen. But Sometime later, the, we're in 1 Kings chapter 17. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. We begin with scarcity. The brook is dried up. There's no rain. We can picture this, right? We can see a place that should have water dried up, dusty. You can see the grass dried, yellow, burnt out. You can see the crops and the plants wilting. I planted a cherry tomato plant this year, and I planted it in a pot on my deck because I wanted my family to eat the tomatoes and not the deer. But I only put dirt halfway up the pot, which was a mistake. Because there was, if I watered the plant every day, the amount of dirt in there could hold the amount of water that the plant needed for the day. But if I didn't water the plant every day, there wasn't enough water being held in the too little soil that I put. I kill plants, but I kept this one alive, kind of. Um, so when we went on vacation for a week, 
and there was no rain in the land. Oh, that was a sad and dying plant, friends. It was depressing. Not the thing you want to come home from vacation to. Um, And this is our setting, right? A field of depressing plants. There's no rain. The brook has dried up. Everything just looks scarce. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. So Elijah is told, go to this, go to this town. Um, and God says, I've got someone who will take care of you, who will show you hospitality. This was a pretty common practice for prophets. They'd go from town to town and would be taken in by someone who would care for them while they did their prophet business all about the town. Sometimes the prophet would be running from the rulers of the country because they wanted to kill the prophets, um, and they'd need a place to save for safety. Sometimes God would just say, go to this town and hang out. So Elijah goes to this town and is going to hang out uh, and finds the person that God told him will take care of him. And he does what is natural. He says, can I have a place to stay? Can I have some water? And can I have some food? The basic requirements of hospitality. This is what happens next. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. There it is. More scarcity. She doesn't have enough. Elijah asks for water and bread, and she doesn't have enough. I don't have any bread. I just have this little bit of flour and oil. I'm going to make a meager snack that my son and I will share, and then we're going to die. Elijah has asked her to share what she has with him, and she doesn't have enough to keep her family living. How could she possibly be called upon to keep the prophet alive? I want us to linger here for a minute, awkward as it may be, And remember that Elijah didn't pick this person at random. Elijah didn't go up to the first person he saw. God said, go to this town. There's a widow I have directed to supply you with food. Let's think about that for a minute. God tells Elijah he's got someone. He's recruited this widow to serve Elijah. So I think it's right of Elijah and of us to expect that if God has picked somebody out, he's also equipped this person to serve given her the resources she needs to carry out the job that God's assigned her to. So if I'm Elijah, I might be wondering at this point, what gives? Did God pull the bait and switch on the prophet? Did God forget to communicate his plan to this widow? I mean, I've forgotten to send an email, but come on. What's the story here? Do any of us ever feel like this woman when it comes to our finances? And here's what I mean by that question. This woman is going about her life. She's running an errand when this prophet walks up to her and says, can you share some bread and water with me? She's being asked to be generous. It's unlikely that while we're running about our daily business, a prophet will come up to us and ask for water or bread. I'm not saying it won't happen. Weird stuff happens all the time. I'm saying it's unlikely. It's not the the most likely, it's not the primary way we are asked to be generous, but we are often asked if we will be generous people. 
invited to make a financial contribution to the ministries here at Spirit Life. And there are more and more charities and nonprofits doing great work in our community and asking for the financial support to continue doing that work. Last weekend was the I Walk for Acts. Streetlight is building a Hope Center, which would provide wraparound support for the homeless in our community. PTAs are doing fundraisers for schools. In a few weeks, we'll be seeing scouts selling popcorn and donuts, and then after that, Salvation Army ringers. There are myriad local and national and international charities that will be sending you letters soon asking for year-end donations. Over and over and over again, we are asked if we will support good work being done in our community through schools, churches, and nonprofits. And at root, the basic question is, will we be generous? And I don't know about you, but I really want to say yes. I want to support the PTA and the Scouts and Axe and Streetlight and tithe to the church and give to the Red Cross and the American Heart Association, etc. But deep down, I feel like I don't have enough to do all the things I want to to provide for my family. And how am I, how am I supposed to give extra, sorry, when I don't have enough? And I'm not meaning to suggest that we're misers who won't give to anything or don't have any margins. What I do believe, though, is that for many of us, there's a point where our desire to be generous is outpaced by the scarcity of our finances. We simply don't have as enough to give away, at least as much as we'd like. So at some point, we feel squeezed. At some point, we feel like we have to say no. At some point, we have to say, this is all I've got, and it's for my family. I don't know about how it is for you, but for me, there's a point where I have to say no, but I don't feel good about it. I'm not happy about it. In fact, I might even feel a little ashamed at having to say no. But our story continues. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Elijah responds to the woman with, don't worry. Make something for me, make something for your family, share and the jar won't run out. And see, I think that's our fear, the jar running out. Because what would that say about us? What would that say about me if the jar ran out? That I was a fool? That I ruined myself? That I'm not good? That I'm not enough? But Elijah says, God won't let the jar run out. It might not be filled to overflowing. You might never feel like there's extra, but there will never be nothing. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So here's our big twist ending. But you know what I find most surprising? Not so much that God provided, because that's what God does. I find it surprising that the woman shared. She did it. She confronted her feelings of scarcity and let another person speak words of grace. And she was brave enough to be generous. She was bold enough to be generous. She was courageous enough to be generous. God has a solution for our problem of scarcity. God has a way out. 
And the solution is generosity. But what I want you to know today is that the message be generous isn't coming from a don't worry, be happy perspective. I get how hard it is. I get how dangerous it is. I get the worry and the anxiety and all the things that shout down our better angels. I get it. And I'm not saying get over the fears and the worry and the anxiety and just be generous and it'll be awesome. Instead, what I'm saying is if we can summon the courage to be generous, we'll begin to find the solution to scarcity God wants us to find. There's a quote from the book Game of Thrones that I come back to from time to time. At the beginning of the first book in the series, a child, Bran, asks his father, can a man be brave even when he's afraid? And his father replies, that is the only time a man can be brave. When this widow shared what meal she had left despite Elijah's direction, I don't think she did it without fear. I don't think she quit worrying. I think she was afraid. Afraid that the jar would be empty afraid that she was putting her son needlessly at risk. But she chose to be brave. And here's what I think happened when that woman was courageously generous. I think she began to see the jar differently. At first, when she looked at the jar, she saw scarcity. She saw something that was going to run out. But I'll bet day after day, when she went to that jar and found it wasn't empty, I bet she began to look at that jar as abundance. We think of abundance as filled to overflowing. But I wonder if abundance is a jar of flour that won't run out. And I bet if we can summon the bravery in the face of our fears to be generous, we might begin to look at our own finances as a place of abundance, as a place of blessing. So many of us approach our finances with fear and trembling. We don't have enough and that quickly becomes we ourselves aren't enough. If we were smarter, if we were more driven, if we worked harder, if we were simply more, we'd have more money and everything would be fine. But it isn't and we don't and we are not enough. God doesn't want us to feel this way. God wants us to be free from the anxiety that money often creates. God wants us to see his abundance and his blessing in our financial lives. I wonder if we're able to share just a little bit more than we feel comfortable, if we won't be surprised when the jar doesn't run out. And I wonder if that might allow us to be a little more generous. And I wonder if that isn't how God frees us from feeling like we don't have enough and we aren't enough. Before we go, though, I want to spend at least a minute asking the follow-up question. Because some of you might be like, yes, I'm right here with you, Pastor Matt. You're right, and I want to be more generous, but I always see scarcity, and that scarcity I see as a personal failing. But do I believe that, But I do believe the jar won't run out. I think I can be a little bit more generous if it means seeing what I have as blessing. Holy run-on sentence. But how do I do it? How do I start? Can you give me some homework? So here's my recommendation. Pick something and give $10 a week to it. Maybe it's Axe, maybe it's Streetlight, maybe it's the American Cancer Society. If it's Spirit Life Church, I won't fight you. In fact, I'll thank you. But pick something and give $10 a week. Why $10? Because while it might seem trivial, at the end of the year, it's over $500. If you went home today 
and got a letter from the American Heart Association. Well, you'd wonder why the mail ran on a Sunday. But say you didn't check your mail yesterday, and you get your mail out of the mailbox, and there's a letter from the American Heart Association there saying, will you pledge $500 annually? You'd probably say, I can't afford that. So $10 a week is an amount that you both think you can afford and an amount you think you can't afford. So go home and pick something and set up recurring payments for $10 a week and see if the jar runs out. If it doesn't, maybe up the donation to $20 or pick another thing and start to see, hey, I might just be blessed. We might be able to be generous. We might be able to say yes to things we didn't think we could say yes to. We might be able to be enough to be the people we want to be. And you might be free to live more the life that God wants for you. Having seen abundance where before we only saw scarcity.